Our passage this morning is from Mark 6, verses 30 through 44. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. This is God's word for us today. You may be seated. Well, good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Brooks. I'll be bringing you the word this morning. Before we get to the text, how many of you are actually going through the Mark Bible study? Yes? How many of you are like thrown off by the scripture reading just now? Good. If you're paying attention, you should be. This is out of order. This is out of order. What we should be on is the sending of the 12. That's the beginning of chapter 6. Why am I messing with the order? Because Tim Sullivan, one of our missionaries, is going to be bringing a message next week on the sending of the 12, or at least that's some of the text. It made more sense for him to preach on that at the close of Missions Emphasis Week, and I, I think the Holy Spirit will use God's word. However, whichever way it's organized. So that's where we're at. Over the last couple weeks, um, I think two weeks back, the message was faith and fear. And we looked at the relationship between um, our fears, our anxieties, and, and where faith comes into play. And last week, we looked at faith and, um, or rather, yeah, faith and fruitfulness that when there's delay, when there's disappointment, God is pruning, he is stretching our faith to make it more fruitful. Now this morning, we are going to look at fruit and faithfulness. So as that faith is stretched, as that faith is grows, God produces fruit in our lives. Now he expects us to use that fruit. He expects us to use that fruit to faithfully, faithfully encourage and strengthen others with the gospel and with our resources. And so that's what we're going to take a look at the scripture reading this morning. There's four things we're going to see. We're going to see, first of all, the command, uh, the obstacle, or at least the self-imposed obstacle. It's not a real obstacle, but it is an obstacle nonetheless. And then the obedience that the disciples displayed. And then we're going to take a look at the application. What do we do with this? What do we do with this? So open up your Bibles. We are in Mark 
chapter 6, starting in verse 30. And let's go to the Lord. Father, we come to you um, humble adoration. We need you. We need your Holy Spirit to open our eyes, open our ears, and soften our hearts that the gospel might take root, that we might bear fruit, and then that we might be faithful. So, Father, I pray that you would, first of all, start in my heart, that I might faithfully proclaim your word, that you might be glorified, and, uh, Father, do the work that you intend to do this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. First of all, the command. We have the setup here. Uh, Jesus has told his disciples uh, after they come back from, from preaching and casting out demons, they need a little R&R. They need a little getaway. And so he says, let's go to the other side of the lake. And as they do that, as they do that, all the crowds see them get in the boat and see the trajectory of the boat heading across the lake. And they're like, hey, they're going to land on the other side. Let's all go. So they all run around the side of the lake to get to the other side, and that's where they meet the crowd. So when they went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they, that is the crowds, were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. Okay, that word compassion there, it... It, it literally means that there's an overturning of the stomach. It means to feel greatly. Okay, so it, it's translated pity or compassion, but it's, a, it's an intense feeling that moves a person to action. Um, now, if Jesus has compassion on them because they're like sheep without a shepherd, but he doesn't move to action, does he really have compassion? No, that's not what the word means. It means compassion that moves people to do something about the plight that they see. So he sees their sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus, being the chief shepherd, begins to feed them spiritually. And that's what he does. He begins to teach them. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go to the surrounding countrysides and the villages and buy themselves something to eat. Okay, so the disciples, because they too care about people, they recognize that this crowd that's gathered to see Jesus, now remember, where are they at? They're in a desolate place. Why? Because Jesus told his disciples, we need to get away from the people so you can rest. No rest at all is going on here. And everyone's there, but they're not near a village. There's, they're not near a place where they can acquire food. So the disciples, being compassionate guys, are like, these people are going to suffer. We don't want them to suffer. We want them to be fed. You should send them away so that they can go get something to eat. So now we have the context. And then Jesus says, you feed them. Simple. There's the command. You do it. Now, you're rational people. When you hear something like that, if you're one of the disciples, what goes through your mind? Let's just be honest. What goes through your mind? With what? With what? He says, well, no, you, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. So there's the command. There it is. There it is. You meet the need. And it's not different today. I mean, contextually, it's different. We see needs all over the world. We see needs in our own community. We see needs in our own church. We see needs like with the international students. They're like sheep without a shepherd. They're lonely. We see all these needs. Or if we open our eyes, we actually see them. 
if we open our eyes. So we see needs all over the place. And, and, and how many of you have done this? You know, somebody ought to do something about that. Any of you? All of you. All, well, no, not all of you have compassion. Some of you are heartless, cold-hearted individuals, and you just don't care. No, I'm, I'm being facetious. But you, you get it. You see the need, and everyone thinks when they see a need and they feel a little bit of compassion, somebody ought to do something. And Jesus is like, yeah, they should. You should. By the way, be very wary of ever coming to someone on staff at Grace and saying, you know, the church ought to reach out to this group because you will hear, yes, we should. You start it. You feed them. You feed them. And, and so it's the same today. There's all sorts of needs. And God says to his people, no, you feed them. You feed them. So before we move on, what needs do you see? You don't have to answer out loud. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping you don't. I'm, I'm wanting you to think, what are the needs that you see? Do you have compassion? Then you feed them. You do something. Not everything, but something. What need do you see? What resources do you have? And will you meet that need? I mean, that's the command. Jesus says, you Feed them. You give them something to eat. Now, there's an obstacle, though, and every single one of us knows that. It's not a real obstacle. It's a mental obstacle. It's a spiritual obstacle. And it prevents us from moving forward. That obstacle is uh, a scarcity mindset. But he answered them, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them? So a denarii is approximately a day wage for a day laborer. So if you're a farmhand, that would be one day's pay. So 200 denarii means essentially about a little, not quite, between half and two-thirds of an annual uh, amount of money. And, so, and, and, and Luke actually records this, this, same, this same question, or the same question, and it says uh, 200 denarii wouldn't purchase enough food to give them a bite to eat. So the, the point is, 200 denarii is not going to feed even this crowd just even a mouthful. There, there's a scarcity mindset. Immediately what they see is there's not enough. There is not enough. There's not enough. Is there? Enough? Not if you live with a scarcity mindset. They suffer from a scarcity mindset. Stephen Covey in his book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, um, wrote this. Most people are deeply scripted in what I call the scarcity mentality. They see life as having only so much as though there were only one pie out there. One pie out there. And if someone were to get a big piece of the pie it would mean less for everybody else. The scarcity mentality is a zero-sum paradigm of life. Zero-sum paradigm. Zero-sum paradigm means there's only one pie. So let's go back to, um, I don't remember, it's been a long time since I was in elementary school, but at some point when you learn basic addition, you hear some word problem like this. So if Johnny has two apples today and Billy has none today and Johnny in his benevolence decides to give two apples to Billy today, 
How many apples will Johnny have tomorrow? What's the answer to that question? No. (laughs) Be quiet. I'm talking to the people who are paying attention, who have a scarcity mindset, and understand there's only one piece of pie in the universe. If you live with a zero-sum mentality, what's the answer to that question? Zero. That assumes a zero-sum game, right? See, that's the problem. That's the problem. Now, it's a trick question, and rightfully, you understand that. If Johnny gives two apples today to Billy who has none, how many apples will he have tomorrow? Now, that assumes there's no more apples forthcoming. If that is the right answer, that there are no more apples coming, well then yes, he has none tomorrow. That's, the, that's how a zero-sum game works. How many of you old-timers remember Gordon Gecko from the movie Wall Street in 1987? Okay, well, for the three of us, I'm going to speak to you. For those of you that are younger than 110, uh, that's a movie about greed. And Gordon Gecko is the... Is the, is the uh, the villain and the protagonist in this movie. So here's what Gordon says. It's not a question of enough, pal. It's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins, somebody loses. So he's a hedge fund better. He's a, he's a Wall Street tycoon. And somebody asks him, how much is enough? He says, well, that's the wrong question. It's a zero-sum game. Somebody wins and somebody loses. Now, what that leads to is a very, very famous speech in this movie. Very, very famous speech that he gives. The point is, ladies and gentlemen, that greed, for lack of a better word, is good. Greed is right. Greed works. Greed clarifies. It cuts through. It captures the essence of the evolutionary spirit. Greed in all its form, greed for life, for money, for love, for knowledge, has marked the upward surge of mankind. In summary, greed is good. Now, the reason that Gordon Gecko and people like that believe that is because they, they're, they're working with a paradigm that life is a zero-sum game. There's winners and there's losers. If Johnny gives his two apples away, well, then he's not going to have any. Now what that what that leads to what that leads to is greed. It leads to greed. Scarcity mindset within Christianity. Gordon Gecko doesn't pretend to be a Christian. But m- most of us here are. Some of you are not yet Christians. You're you're weighing whether or not you want to follow Jesus and you're in the right place because it's safe to explore here. But many of you are Christians, but yet you suffer from a scarcity mentality. You believe that there's only one pie. You believe that if you give your two apples to Wade, so he can do international student ministry tomorrow, you won't have two apples tomorrow. And that's why many of you will not talk to him after you leave this service. Because you're like, I don't know. There's not enough apples. And and that's why many people in Christianity are, are... well, they're not generous people. In, in sentiment, we like to think we're generous, but we hold on to our apples because we're afraid that we won't have any tomorrow. Am I just talking to myself? or, or Do you understand that principle? This is the way we think. What, why? What we believe, we believe the following. God, if I trust you, then I'm going to go without. Where did that start? 
It started in the garden under a tree where there were presumably, not apples, but some type of fruit. And it started with a question. Did God really say? And once Adam and Eve took that fruit and began to live as if they were expected to provide for themselves, because that's what it's all about now, because you're going to be like God's and you know, you, you can provide for yourself. You can make your own decisions. You don't need to rely on a heavenly benevolent father. Besides, he's not all that benevolent. He doesn't want you to be like him. From that moment on, they began to live with a scarcity mentality. God, if I trust you, then I will go without. That's why I have to take from this tree and I have to eat because you're holding out. What it produces well, Genesis chapter 4, we see what it produces. It produces greed. It produces, it produces jealousy. It produces envy. It produces strife. It produces murder. Because if Johnny loses his two apples and Billy has two apples, you better bet that Johnny is going to take those apples. This, this is the essence of every conflict in the history of the world. The scarcity mentality. And that's why Cain bashes his brother's head in. What it produces is consumers incapable of loving their neighbors as themselves. We can talk a good game, but when it comes down to seeing our neighbors without, either without material needs or without the gospel, we think to ourselves, somebody that has more apples than me ought to do something. But clearly I don't have enough apples. So, since it's a zero-sum game, I'm going to wait for someone else to come up and feed them, spiritually and or physically. It's pretty easy to diagnose. It's, it's, it makes sense. It makes sense. And that's the reason why, when there's an appeal to serve within the body, you say, well, I'm already too busy. I don't have enough time. That's the reason when there's a need and you think, and I think I'm going to throw myself under the bus too. And then we can back over ourselves and go forward and back over and we'll just be little greasy spots in the pavement. Um, that's why we, that's why we look at, look at the need out there. We look at our resources and we think, well, somebody else ought to do something because I don't have enough apples or I only have so many apples. And if I give this apple away, I won't have an apple tomorrow. Whether that's time, whether that's talent, whether that's treasure. And so consequently, what the church becomes is an event where people come and sit and they eat apples. That someone else is feeding them, spiritually. And it becomes a game. I'm pretty sure that's not the way it was written up to be. Jesus says, no, you do it. You feed them. So that's the diagnosis, the scarcity mindset within Christianity. So the obedience, the obedience, he said to them, how many loaves do you have? In other words, well, how many apples you got? What do you have? I know you don't have enough for 5,000 people. That's clear. But what do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they came back and said, well, we got five loaves. We got two fish. Jesus is like, well, great. Use that. And you know the rest of the story. He breaks them up into groups. 
and he breaks bread and he gives thanks and they fed everybody. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. See, God's not responsible. We're only responsible with what, what, how many apples we have or five loaves or how many loaves or how many fish. We're not responsible for coming up with with enough to feed 5,000 people. We're only responsible for using the fruit that God has given us. That's it. That's it. No more, no less. How many apples do you have? Well, I got two. That'll work. What do you got? Oh, we scrounged up five loaves of bread and a couple fish. Great. That'll work. Let's start there. At the end of the day... Everybody was fed. And they had leftovers. Why? Because following Jesus is not a zero-sum game. It's not a zero-sum game. He made the tree. He causes the tree to bear fruit today. And there will be fruit tomorrow. Let's revisit the question. If Johnny has two apples today and gives those two to Billy who has none today, how many apples will Johnny have tomorrow knowing that his benevolent father owns the orchard? How many apples will he have tomorrow? As many as he needs because his father's benevolent and there's an endless supply of apples. That's the point. That's the point. And we walk around and we're so afraid we're going to lose our apples. We're so afraid we're not going to have enough for tomorrow. Oh, the application. By the way, at the end, let's just back it up. So they witnessed this. Who witnessed this? Everyone, the disciples and the 5,000 people. That's actually 5,000 men plus women and children. So it's more than 5,000. So they witnessed this. And so they learned the lesson and everyone lived happily ever after. And they never, ever doubted again. (laughs) Said no one who read the New Testament. Jump ahead to to Mark chapter 8. We're just a few chapters later. In those days, in those days, a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. And he, and he, this is not the same story. This is a different story. It's just Billy with no apples and Johnny's got apples again. And now what do we do? Well, it's the same problem. It's two weeks later, I don't know how many weeks later, but they're doing the same math problem. The teacher says, okay, Jesus says, uh, calls his disciple and said, I have compassion on the crowd because they've been with me now three days and they don't have anything to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their houses, they'll they'll faint along the way. And, And some of them have come far away. What is Jesus doing? He's asking the pupils to see if they learned anything from the last time he did this. In other words, like, oh boy, they've been here three days, guys. I've been teaching this whole time. There's nothing to eat. What what, what should we do? Can anybody smell a lesson coming up? And what do they they say? Look at what they say. These guys are awesome. And his disciples answered him, how can one feed these people with bread here in a desolate place? (laughs) They've forgotten already. And how many of you find this humorous the way I do? Good, then you ought to be able to look in the mirror and laugh at yourself. 
because we are exactly like them. We've been told it's not a zero-sum game. We've been told that our father owns the orchard. We've been told that he will provide for us. And the minute we get in the same situation, we think it's a zero-sum game again. It's just the way we are. Because we are, by blood, related to our ancestors, Adam and Eve, who took the fruit from the wrong tree. And we are implicitly unable to trust apart from grace. Apart from grace. So, here's an opportunity coming up December 5th. How many of you struggle with this? You, you kind of live with a zero-sum mentality. Scarcity mindset. We recognize that. Uh, faithful finances, honoring God, an increasingly expensive world is going to be a luncheon that's going to be after the service December 5th. Uh, from 11.30 to 1 p.m. It's a lunch with Q&A hosted by Tony Lonescus, and he's going to be doing that. If, if you're interested in that, I uh, encourage you to attend. If, if you do, let us know you're coming. Child care is, uh, is going to be there, and space is, is limited. But we recognize that this is, is not a one-time thing. Oh, I heard that sermon on the feeding of the 5,000. Got it. Covered. I'm not going to struggle with this ever again. We recognize that. Uh, that that's not, not realistic. But, but God calls us to trust. Uh, in Matthew, Jesus says, Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, Well, what should we eat, or what should we drink, or what should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your Heavenly Father, He knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and all His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you as well. Now, contextually, in verses 24 through 30, Jesus has asked them a question. Why are you anxious? Why, why are you so anxious about tomorrow? Why are you anxious about what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, what you're going to wear? What, why are you anxious that if you give two apples to Billy, you're not going to have any tomorrow? He says, take, take a look at the grass and the flowers of the field. I mean, are they not adorned even, even more gloriously than Solomon? And they're here today and they're, they're gone tomorrow. Or, or take a look at the birds of the air. They're not like wringing their wings about what they're going to eat tomorrow. Because they know they're their father. Just they're going, they, they know they're going to be provided for. How many of you think Jesus sounds like an irresponsible hippie? <laughs> he does. But he's not an irresponsible hippie. He's the son of God who made the orchard. And create the universe. He knows the end from the beginning. And he recognizes that our greatest obstacles are not, a, uh, uh, are not the fact that we don't have enough resources, but it's the fear that we won't have any tomorrow. And he says, listen, here's the deal. If you seek first my father's kingdom and his righteousness, then he'll provide everything you need for tomorrow. It's not a zero-sum game. It's not a zero-sum game. How can you know this? How can you trust this? Jesus has eternal life. He has righteousness. He has gifts. He has power. He gave literally all of his apples and all of his blood on Calvary to the point of death. Why did he do that? Because he knows that his father, the owner and the creator of the orchard, would raise him up again. 
So he was not afraid to give all because he knew that he would receive all. Do you understand? Do you understand? Zero, Jesus knows it's not a zero-sum game. My, the, the game is rigged. The game is utterly rigged. Jesus says, I'm going to give my life for you. Now, that doesn't make his, his, the giving of his life any less painful, knowing that it's going to be raised up again, but he knows, he knows that he's going to give his life for you, for me, that he is going to be rejected by his father, that he is going to experience death, rejection, isolation, and hell. He's going to experience all of the things that you and I should experience because we actually believe that it's zero-sum game. He's going to experience what we deserve, and he's going to give us what we don't deserve. How did he do it? Because he knows the game is rigged, and he knows that he will rise again. He knows that he will lose nothing that he gives away. Because his father owns the orchard. And so does yours. If you're in Christ. So I'd encourage you practically in terms of this application. First of all, give yourself to the giver of all gifts. So that you might receive his greatest gift, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Give yourself to him. Receive that greatest gift, which is salvation. And if you have received Christ, trust him. Trust him. Ask him to open your eyes to the needs. And there are all sorts of needs. International neighbors, supporting missionaries like Wade Summers. It's not a zero-sum game. So much so that I would encourage you that if it requires you to not give as much to the general fund at Grace so you can give to some missionary, do it. (gasps) The FRC, the elders are like, Brooks, why would you do such a thing? Because it's not a zero-sum game. It's all the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? My dad owns the orchard. He planted the orchard. He causes it to grow. So does yours. And in a practical sense, what other needs are right in front of your eyes that you think to yourself, someone ought to do something? Can you think of it? You feed them. Let's pray. Father, thank you for feeding us. Thank you for providing for us and giving us gifts and giving us um, the gospel. Thank you that it's not a zero-sum game. Thank you that if we trust you, you will provide. And Lord, even if you don't, and we go without, and we die of starvation, we're raised again. And we're with you for eternity. Lord, so we thank you that you keep all your promises. We thank you, Lord, and help us to trust. We are so like the disciples. We know this intellectually. And yet the first time we run up against something that, where there's a need and we could possibly meet it, we immediately fear that we're not going to have enough. So, Father, give us the faith to trust you. And, Father, we ask that you would do this in such a way that Christ is, is glorified that he is proclaimed among the nations, the international students here in this community, across the world, and the gospel is taken to the very ends of the earth. And Lord, show us how we might participate that in that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. Go in grace. And we'll see you next week.